0: Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. The Chinese love to use metaphors and analogies to describe their world. There are plenty to pick from in the realm of business and economics. An idea which has been popular for several decades is that pillar industries provide strong support for the economy. But one of the pillars, property, seems to be in danger of crumbling. And that's raised alarm both within China and internationally. So does China need new pillar industries? And if so, what should they be? Here to help analyse the Chinese government's concerns and its development strategy is an expert who knows both China and East Asia well. Rory Green is Chief China Economist and Head of Asia Research at Global Data TS Lombard. Rory, welcome back to China in Context.
1: Thanks, Duncan. Great to be back.
0: Now, let me ask you why China needs new pillars, or to put it another way, new drivers of economic growth.
1: It certainly does need new pillars, new drivers of growth. Um, And we can, I think, extend the metaphor a little bit to to help us sort of explain that. If we consider the old sort of structural supports underpinning China's rise, and that's namely property and exports, the property side has been gradually sort of crumbling for almost a decade. And the exports coming under pressure more recently, uh, prominently with Trump and the trade war. So these two pillar industries, pillar drivers of activity were under pressure. And I think we should give credit to Xi Jinping that he recognized that some rebuilding, some restructuring of China's growth model was needed and has indeed embarked on a plan to to set up and create new growth drivers. However, before those foundations for these new uh, pillars, if you will, were in place, he also took a sledgehammer to the old ones. (laughs) and So he's knocked down uh, the the property sector pretty heavily and and exports too coming under pressure, partly due to a more uh, uh, assertive Chinese stance globally. So a new growth model certainly needed, certainly emerging with a couple of very promising pillar industries, new growth drivers around tech investment and consumption coming through. However, the the old drivers, the old pillars are crumbling much more quickly <laughs> than the new. And that's where we are at this uh, it's kind of difficult transition stage for the Chinese economy.
0: Well, let's talk some more about the shakiest pillar, the property sector, I can well understand why people used to regard it as fundamentally important, because the property market contributed more than a quarter of China's GDP in the 2010s. And that was the period when its growth was widely considered to be in its heyday. Can you talk us through a bit what's happened since then, please?
1: Yes. So, as you say, it had been a core driver of economic activity, urbanisation, construction, development, creating wealth. But it had also become increasingly unmoored from economic fundamentals. Um, the the amount of construction going on was way above the needs of the economy, both in terms of the, the demographic outlook, the urbanization rate, prices completely out of whack, and its share of GDP was up to around 25-30% at its high. So this was you know, really an economy that was over-reliant on property. And I think quite rightly recognised as a problem by Chinese property ma- policymakers, and they took the gradually increasing steps to try and slow and compress the property sector's share of GDP, share of wealth, share of resources. A quite a rational move, but one that was pushed too far, particularly with the three red lines limiting the leverage that developers were able to hold which was then combined with the zero COVID policy, sort of shutting down large parts of the economy. Uh, and that effectively popped the the property bubble. It's been a sort of slow deflation rather than a big bang pop as it was in 2008 for, for the US and Europe, but it is slowly deflating. And what the three red lines plus COVID uncovered was uh, a Ponzi-like financing model, which was well known by the industry but one that had reached its limits. And that model worked when prospective buyers trusted the developers to deliver those properties and they believed prices would be higher two years later than they were now. And that that has broken down. Prices are certainly going to be lower and the developers are untrustworthy. No one is willing to put new money into the sector uh, and the developers are very stretched with their big source of funding. That was 60% of their funding now effectively gone. And China is in is going to be stuck until Beijing can restore confidence both in the developers and in future property price growth.
0: That's a very good explanation, Rory. Thanks. Look, I want to talk about another area which I know you follow, and that's mm-hmm. the financial sector. This is also very important to China, isn't it? Xi Jinping has placed special emphasis on it. Uh, when he was speaking, for example, to the Central Financial Work Conference in Beijing at the start of November. He also talked about high quality growth in the finance sector. So what's the strategy there?
1: It's a high quality growth, really a sort of core underpinning of China's new emerging growth model, a model that's been gradually and basically Beijing is hoping that it's going to be domestic consumption and technology investment and innovation. Those are the two uh, engines that China would like to drive growth longer term. The high quality growth are the new consumption, tech investment, innovation drivers, property, um, and some of the sort of laggard industrial sectors are low quality growth, low priority. And from a financial perspective, Beijing wants the entire financial industry, the markets, the banks to be aiding the two former, the high quality growth and rotating away, reallocating away from those low quality growth drivers
0: well actually i've got another question relating mm. to china's banks are they safe now we've <laughs> witnessed uh, you know we've witnessed a banking crisis in the united mm. states uh, there was a banking crisis in switzerland what are the authorities in china doing to ensure that the banks there don't get into similar difficulties
1: yeah very important question and generally the banking system as a whole is very safe Is one of the fundamental uh, struts, pillars, if you will, of of the party power and the economy, particularly the big four banks and the sort of the top 20 um, national commercial banks. However, China does have some real structural issues within the banking system. And you combine that with the, the falling property prices and the leverage that is tied to that, issues are going to emerge. One of these issues is that China has too many banks, a lot of them very small, very exposed to to local economies. They're not national, they're very regional. Uh, and as such, exposed to the vagaries of weak sort of city level economies and their weak property markets. And a lot of these small banks are in um, considerable pain and a lot of pressure. So we will gradually, I think, over the next couple of years, see a number of defaults within the banking system, uh, with larger banks being forced by the centre to take over these smaller, unsustainable um, unprofitable banks that have been really hammered by sort of tier three and tier four property property market weakness, and the the knock-on effects on the local economy.
0: Well, look, the English language website Global Times is normally incredibly positive and optimistic about mm-hmm. China. I actually look at it a lot, probably more than I need to. But I was a bit shocked when I came across a negative piece uh, about the financial sector recently. Global Times ran a report about the Central Financial Work Conference, which I just mentioned. That's the big meeting in Beijing, which was held in November 2023. And according to Global Times, the conference noted, and I'll read this uh, from from the uh, website, there are still many hidden economic and financial risks. The quality and efficiency of financial services to the real economy are not high. Illegal financial activities and financial corruption problems persist, and financial supervision and governance capabilities remain relatively weak. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, it's quite quite stinging criticism, but I think not wholly unsurprising and it actually it's a really sort of choice quote you've chosen there duncan we get a real sense of how the party views the financial sector and how it is going to fit in to this new growth model what it means for the financial sector And, and the we've talked about high quality growth the new growth drivers emerging um to support china's economy as it pivots away from property and to a lesser extent exports um, but I'd also just emphasize another factor of this this emerging growth model is a huge focus on national security. And it's very clear that Beijing views financial stability as a national security concern. You can't be a, a competitor to the US if you're going through a banking crisis or your financial system is imploding. But it's very clear that, that Beijing recognizes, and rightly so, that a lot of hidden debt resource misallocation has built up over the past 10 years and it wants to deal with that debt uh, and really put china on a more sustainable higher quality growth path Uh, and some of this is is already coming into play now with with local government debt uh, being swapped out some of the high interest bearing debt swapped out for for low interest rate debt on a much longer um, repayment plan so it's it's very much tied in with Xi's conception of national security, his view of higher quality growth, slower, sustainable, less debt fueled development. One other key part of that that quote, which really touches on um, how Xi Jinping views the financial sector as a whole, it's finance serving the real economy. So you want to avoid uh, hyper financialized. A massive sort of banking system, financial sectors that are going to create these you know, credit default swaps or you know, pull pull in too many resources into, into the financial sector. It needs to serve the real economy and, more importantly, serve the party. And that's mainly in terms of allocating resources, as we already touched on, towards party priorities. That's pushing money to key growth drivers such as tech innovation or the consumption, which are meant to be the new pillar aspects of of the economy going forward. Uh, So it's national security, stability, innovation, and these are really the messages coming home to the financial sector. You've got to follow the party line, uh, be sustainable, be stable, and back uh, industries where the government is is placing um, huge bets for China's future economic and political prosperity.
0: Well, let's finish by going back to the pillars then. What industrial pillars should China be concentrating upon now?
1: It's a very good question, and and I think you know even you know Xi Jinping and China have rightly taken a lot of criticism. That the headlines this year have not been kind to China, um, China's growth model or China's economy. However, I think the overall goals and blueprint are reasonably sound you want to compress the property sector which was too large it was over leveraged reallocate some of those resources to tech investment high productivity industries of the future and towards consumption which is where china has been relatively weak so that's a reasonable blueprint it's one that's going to be very difficult to carry out and i think the areas where we'd like to see more focus on uh, and where we will start to see that going forward is on the consumption side and the property side so the the tech hardware aspect is going very well a lot of investment pouring in a lot of innovative breakthroughs china dominating uh, these sort of now almost mature industries like electric vehicles batteries solar panels industries of the future what we need to see more really is on the consumption side so structural reforms around welfare the hukou system uh, the social safety net, helping people save less and consume a bit more. And that is happening, but and it has accelerated recently, but it is going very slowly and not enough to change the growth rate any time in the next five years. And in a similar manner, on the very short-term side, the property sector slide is continuing and is getting to be quite concerning. And I think we we will see Beijing step in more forcefully next year to stabilize that sector because it's very difficult for China to grow with a property sector in contraction. And a lot of those longer term goals of stability, consumption, resources to tech are really undermined if China is not growing. So short term support to the property sector, medium term accelerate those hukou and welfare reforms and then continue to push on the tech side. And China will look to have a a slower but more sustainable growth path over the next five to ten years.
0: Well, I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on the progress and indeed on those risks too. Thank you, Rory. That was Rory Green, Chief China Economist and Head of Asia Research at Global Data TS Lombard. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute in London. You can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.